When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What up, everybody? This is Ricky Rackman. The guy used to be on Headbangers Ball, but now I'm on The Ball. Well, actually, right now, I'm on Hook Rock with Jay Scott. Good evening, everybody. It is Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy, enjoying the spring. The uh, The weather has improved immensely over the past month. We're going to hit well, close to 70 here today outside Chicago, which is very nice for us. But hope you're enjoying it. Hope you're enjoying the sun. Hopefully, as numbers continue to improve, I know we've seen an uptick in COVID numbers across the country, but I hope they continue to improve overall, and hopefully live music at some point this year is upon us, because I know we're all itching to get back in the swing of things, get back to seeing some live concerts and seeing some shows that we've greatly missed over the past year or so, and hopefully hopefully soon, right? I mean, soon, however we define that. Hopefully it happens at some point this year. But we're always an escape for you, as I always say. We offer music commentary, great music interviews, talking new music, talking classic rock, talking the issues that face rock music today. And we'd like to welcome in our next guest, which is a pleasure of mine because I'm a huge fan of him and the band Queensryche and his new solo album. The guest is Todd Latore. What's going on? How are you today, Todd? I'm doing great. Yeah, the weather's warming up. Well, I'm in Florida, so it's usually always warm. <laughs> yeah, right. But today it's it's in the you know it's eighty. I don't know in the eighties. Humidity's starting to creep up, but the skies are. I mean, beautiful blue skies today. Palm trees are blowing. You know, there could be worse things. Yes, yes, there could be worse things, and hopefully things start or continue to get better out there. I know. Over the last week, yeah. you know, some numbers have continued to spike, and, and hopefully it's just a little bump in the road here, and hopefully with people getting vaccinated that uh, we're able uh-huh. to get back to some sort of normalcy here, and we can go out and see live concerts, you know, again. And uh, Yeah, it's been a long time. It's been over one year since we've been on a stage or, you know, done any done any shows. So, yeah, it's, it's like... Uh, yeah, it's pretty surreal. Who would have ever thought that that, that would happen, you know? Yeah. Never, never yeah. would have believed it. No, I had tickets for Queensryche at, this, at the uh, Arcata Theater in St. Charles last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, yeah. you know, it, it had to be postponed and, and it didn't happen. But, 
Yeah, I, I think back of the last show, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, last show I saw was in November of 2019, and that was Big Wreck. They played at a club in Chicago, and a Canadian band, just a phenomenal band. And then the last performance I saw was just before the lockdown in March. I went up to Wisconsin to see Dave Chappelle, and, you know, I do, gosh, you know, 20 to 35 shows a year and I haven't been to anything anything in over a year right now it's it's just frustrating yeah it's definitely a weird time and uh you know <clears throat> every state's different so yeah you know some states they're they're having people play and other states they're not and if you different municipalities have different rules and um yeah, like you know, we're we're scheduled to play Sturgis this year, and I remember last year it was a it was a, a pretty big spreader event, and uh, you know we've got certain accommodations <clears throat> where we're off site, we're not in the hotel where other people are, and um, yeah, it's a pretty touch and go thing, and the schedule's constantly changing. There's there's weekly up uh, emails with our management and the band saying, okay, this one's happening so far, this one's being pushed back. So it's hard to plan anything. Just don't know what's going to through and what's what's not. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Hopefully, we'll get there. I had an interesting conversation with George Lynch like two weeks after he played Sturgis last year, and I asked him, "I yeah. said, what were the differences?" He says, "Well, the big thing is, is I stayed in my trailer, like before. Yeah. Like I didn't even go up, even talk to anybody before the show. They knocked on my yeah. door, and I went right to the stage. I didn't even." Yeah, you know, you know it's that's like, what we're gonna do. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's that's we actually I think we all have our own individual trailers, you know, with full bathrooms, kitchen, bedroom, the whole deal for each one of us separately. Um, in order as a kind of a, I wouldn't say a contingency. I might have been a contingency, but it was a, a very strong request that we had, and so they've been great to accommodate us with that. So that way we're not <clears throat> we're not staying at hotels where there's a million people and we're not, you know, we're, we're, we're off the grid, so to speak. And, uh, you know, uh, a couple of the guys have already had their vaccines. Now it's 40 and up for Florida. I'm told. So I'm trying to schedule to get mine and, um, you know, meet and greets are probably not going to happen for a while. And it's just a weird thing, but yeah, I just saw the map today on the news and, you know, some States are, are doing better. Florida, which I always call the Wild West because it's pretty nuts here, um, it has a increase. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the more the more people that get vaccinated and uh, we can reach herd immunity, then the better off we'll be. So yeah, yeah. you know, people that yeah, that's it's been and you know it's been such a touchy issue with wearing masks and people uh, you know complaining about it and. You know, I'm I'm pretty outspoken about my views, and uh, it's like, hey, you know, we're we're the ones out of work here in our industry. We were the first to close and the last to open, so I'm sure that you guys criticizing me or people that are advocating to to do everything to mitigate the situation, you know, are back to work. <laughs> but whatever, it well, is what it is. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, you know, I just got my vaccination, my first dose yesterday, and. You know, when I when I look at people who are against, you know, wearing masks and whatnot, 
the way, the way I look at it is, is that if we all do it, even if even if we don't like it, sometimes in life you got to do things you don't like, right? And sure. if if we if we do things that we don't necessarily like, we can all move forward a lot quicker. We can all get back to work. We can all get back to going to concerts. Get, right. get back going to sporting events. And what yep. that does is, like you just said, you know, sporting events, you know, concert halls. There's I've had Savior Stages on this show, and we've talked about it that it's a domino effect. Like if there's no shows at theaters or concert halls, the restaurants around that area suffer because that brings in oh, people yeah. to go to eat and people yep. are out of work. So if you don't like it, fine. But if you want your fellow person, fellow man, woman to get back to work and to, and to make a living, you got to do it right. Do it for them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was in home Depot yesterday or two days ago. Um, and you know, a couple of guys didn't even have them on. One guy had one on under his chin. I said, nice chin strap, dude. That looks great. You know, and just walked by like, you know, and the, the staff, they're not allowed to tell people to leave or you can't even recommend that they wear one. That's how ridiculous this is. I said, well, I bet if I walk in here with no pants, they'll tell me to put pants on. So, yeah. you know, and me, me not wearing pants isn't going to kill people. You know, not wearing a mask can and cause cost lives. So yeah, yeah it's, it seems pretty petty. It's a short sighted vision to uh, rebel against wearing a mask, but whatever. Well, we got lots to get to here on today's yeah, podcast with, with your new album coming out. But before we do that, we always start the same way every time we have a new guest on. And that is the essence okay. of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in. Every mm-hmm. rock fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh man. Well, you know, I'm a drummer primarily. Um, that was like my, my main instrument and, uh, listening to Billy Joel, you know, uh, um, uh, there's a, uh, What's the matter with the clothes you're wearing? Don't you know that they're out of style? That song. There's a drum fill that, and as soon as I heard that as a kid, I was like, I, I just loved drums and the sounds of drums. And then I listened to uh, something from Iron Maiden, and that's what got me hooked into kind of this style of singing. You know, so those were those were a couple, uh, you know, important small things at the time, but very, very profound and had an impact on kind of the direction that I would kind of be leading, uh, going into as a musician. When did it become something that you wanted to do, be like, be on stage, being a band, you know, cause there's the evolution of the artist. There's your influencers, what grabs you and hooks sure. you into the music, to the genre. And then, you know, what happens when you see a person live and you want to be in a band and get up on stage? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, the, you know, one of the first concerts I saw was lover boy in 1983. And that was a big arena show. All the shows back then were big arena shows. And, uh, and I was like, Oh man, just that feeling and the energy and, and, you know, like, Oh, I want to do that. And then I joined my first band when I was like 14 or so and then started playing clubs at 15. And, um, you know, just going through Metal Edge magazine, watching MTV and, and the Headbangers Ball, and like that's what I want to do. I want to be up, I want to be on stage. <clears throat> I want to. That's this is this is what I feel I'm 
kind of destined to do. And then, and then I played music all through my teens into my twenties. And then, you know, that quote break never happened for me. And so by my 25, 26, I figured, okay, well, it's not going to happen. And so I just, you know, I, I didn't try to pursue it in any other fashion than just some local gigs with a friend of mine doing beach bars playing, you know, stuff like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Natalie and Brugley and Matchbox 20 and whatever, just, just beat bar gigs as a drummer, just to, just to kind of play and keep my chops up a little bit. And then, uh, I figured, well, the, 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 the big, the big stage thing and, and that kind of notoriety and experience and doing that professionally in that capacity wasn't going to happen. And, and and then when I joined the band Crimson Glory in 2010, that was my really thrusting me into a, a, a large, you know, a larger uh, band situation where I got to tour Europe and play big festivals and clubs and, and as a singer, you know, so uh, I didn't have the blanket psychological comfort factor of have you know being behind my drums. So that was a, a little bit of a learning curve for me to get used to. And, uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting time, but that's, that's, um, you know, in, in high school is when I felt like, okay, this is what I want to do. And I remember going to, uh, St. Pete Junior college. It's called St. Pete college now, but just going for, you know, your basic first two year degree. And I never completed it. I, I was playing out many times a night. And, you know, I had class at eight in the morning and I'm not getting home till 4 a.m. from packing up my drums and getting home and playing out every night to where I just ended up withdrawing because I was so focused on, you know, oh, some, someone's going to, someone's going to get us and we'll get signed and I'll be able to do this. And yeah, that just didn't happen. So high school days were when I really felt kind of like, this is, this is what I want to do. And I remember going to a concert with my neighbor. And it was like Skid Row and Dawkin and I think Poison. I think we, we didn't stay for them. We wanted to see uh, Skid Row and, and Dawkin. And uh, I remember watching the stage. I was out on the lawn part of the grounds watching. And it was the first time I ever felt that kind of envy. I was like, God damn it. I That should be me up there. <laughs> you know, why why you know i i know that i'm as good i know that i can do this and it's just sometimes it's the luck of the draw my friend you know but that's that's kind of my story and and uh i always felt that i like i was kind of destined to do this in in some kind of a capacity like this from the time i was about 16 when you look back at your evolution as an artist, you know, going from, you know, drumming to singing, songwriting comes into play at some point, right? And where do you find, or was there a band or a song that you heard that, you know, said, hey, you know, I, I think I can do this as well. I think I can write a tune. I think I can write a song and put lyrics down, express how I feel about something or something that I have observed there wasn't a song that made me feel like I can do this. I just heard things in my head that musically that were, you know, my own creation. And so when I was about 15, 
I wrote a song called Give and Take. And I played guitar. It was on a four track. I recorded it. And I, I played, I played the drums in my room, my bedroom. And then I recorded guitar and then I put vocals down. It was just three, no bass. There was no bass on it, but just three, three instruments. And that was my first song that I wrote from beginning to end. And then we did, I was in a band and we actually did a, did a, a tape. We recorded a professionally recorded, like a, uh, you know, a tape. And what, one of those songs was give and take. Well, nothing happened with the band. And then, you know, I still written other songs and co-written stuff with actually the guy who did my solo record with me in our teens and through our twenties. And even later, you know, we would do things together, um, uh, you know, just that nobody else heard. And then <clears throat> when Condition Human came out with Queensryche, you know, I always loved the, the words and kind of what I did on the song Give and Take when I was 15. So I decided to rework it a little bit. And I used the first part of the verse for uh, the song Condition Human. You know, do we ever stop and wonder, wonder what's around us? Do we take for granted what somebody dreamed to have? Yada, yada. So I remember recording that and I showed Craig. I'm like, Craig, look what I did. <laughs> I took my lyric, my melody. I, I reworked the melody, but it, the framework was there. Um, there wasn't any particular song that made me go, you know, I can do this. It was just chord progressions in my head and a, 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 a melody, a vocal melody. And I thought, well, I, I'm a guitar player. You know, I'm a rhythm guitar player. I can record the music bed to sing on. And back then I wasn't like, quote, a singer, although I did like to sing. And so I just sang, it played and sang everything on my own on the song. Yeah. And so I was like 15 when I wrote my first song. The new album is out and it's phenomenal. It's just, it keeps coming. It's just a huge album in terms of groove, in terms of sense of melody, but also the power of the album too. It just, it's just unrelenting. It just does not seem to, to, to let up. (laughs) And it's phenomenal. I mean, it's just like, man, you put it in and you you know, it's, I I can't even express like, I, I didn't know really what to expect so I just, you know, yeah. and, and you always got to give it the car test. And, you know, I, oh, yeah. I, I was driving around in my car and I'm like driving and I would like lose sense of like where I was going while I was listening to it. I was like, wow, this is wow. really cool. So when you were recording Rejoice in the Suffering, and obviously we've gone through the last year with the pandemic, what was the motivation to start recording this record? Where did you, where did this come from? Um, well, I always wanted to do a solo record. When I joined, when I joined Queensryche, um, I had a handful of demos that I had started writing. None of those, by the way, made this record. Um, I just started with a clean slate, um, March of last year. And, um, you know, it was always like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then, Craig and I wrote the song Rejoice in the Suffering and then a few years went by and it still held up. It was still a solid song. It was still something I liked. It was still something I wanted to have on the record. And I, you know, I told Craig, like, you and I are going to do this. Like the two of us, we might find an outside basis, but otherwise 
we don't need anybody else. I don't really want anybody else right now. This is just us, you know, and the first band I ever joined was his band when I was 14 years old or whatever it was. <clears throat> and, um, and so when the pandemic hit and we flew, we had two canceled shows with Queensryche and we flew home and, uh, I had watched, uh, a thing with Joe Rogan and Michael Osterholm, who was a uh, infectious disease specialist. And he was talking about this virus and what he was kind of thinking that this could, this could very well spread very quickly. And every four days it doubles. And then when you think about oh, 10 people, 20 people, well, when you're at 20,000 and then it's 40,000, a hundred thousand, 200,000. Now, you know, like the exponential growth uh, so quickly, you're like, okay, this could really get out of control and we might not be playing gigs for months. And uh, I just said to Craig when I flew home the next day, I was like, hey man, right now everything's kind of up in the air. I believe that we're going to be home for quite a long time. This is a perfect time for us to dig in and get the songwriting going and let's do this record now because Otherwise, I fly out, I'm gone for a week, and then I'm home for three days, and then I have a one-off, and then I'm home for two weeks, and then I'm gone for a month. And it's hard to just stay in that writing headspace and really make the progress that I feel a record requires, that attention. And so we started going balls to the wall mid-March, and we, we wrote and recorded everything in, in four months and uh, sent all the recordings over to Zeus, who is our producer in Queensryche and does the mixing and mastering for the last two records in Queensryche. He's working on the next one with us now. And I said, well, he'll, I know he's the guy to do the perfect mix and master on this record. So we sent it all to him and did it. But this was a record that I always wanted to make. And I always say that this is the record that Craig and I always wanted to do together in our twenties that never got to, you know, that never really got to happen. And I love the record. It's a fun record. It's, it's got peaks and valleys. It, it's, it's a little bit relentless, you know, it's a powerful record, but it does have dynamics. It's got a lot of groove. It shows a lot of different vocal stylings and things. The guitar work is killer from Craig. I mean, the riffs are nonstop and, um, yeah, I'm just super glad that we were able to get that done because now that's that's over. I don't have to worry about finishing up songs and, and you know, we're, we're deep in the middle of, of writing for the next Queensryche album now. So I, I couldn't have asked for better timing and just really maximizing on the unfortunate opportunity. Um, you know, it was just the perfect the perfect time to do this record, but it's something I've always wanted to do and I'm glad that I at least got this first one out and done. This, the similarities that I think with this record is, is with Judas Priest, because Priest is very heavy, and they got a lot of groove. And that's probably the comparison that I would give it. You know, I mean, it's its its its, its own entity, right? It sounds like you. But if there was, you know, that metal type of style, that's the, that's the comparison that I would go, go with. I mean, that's a, that's, that's, you know, it's not a bad comparison, <laughs> you know, but, um, yeah, I think there, there's definitely some, some thread of, of maybe some of priest in there. 
and also Fight, which was Halford's solo band. Um, and then, um, you know, there's also some grooves in there that are, that are kind of Pantera-ish, like uh, the song uh, Hellbound and Down, and you've got some Crossroads to Insanity, which is a lot of, you know, clean guitar and a different kind of vocal uh, delivery on that. So yeah, there's a little bit of everything, you know, there's, there's thrash in there from influences of mine, like overkill or metal church or Testament. Um, you know, there's also singable melodies like the chorus and vexed and, you know, very, various songs, apology. But, um, you know, if, if someone thinks that it reminds them of Judas priest in some way, then that's, that's certainly not a bad comparison because they're an amazing band and, you know, have my full respect. So I'll take it. <laughs> when you're recording this album and the outside world is more or less burning down, you have COVID, you've got a toxic election process, you've got protests all through the summer last year. How did that affect the tone of the album? Um, <clears throat> I, I don't know how much, well, it did create for some subject matter to write about, like the song Critical Cynic is, is precisely um, spawned from watching uh, science deniers and and kind of that whole surrounding that topic of, of what's going on. Um, and then the song Vexed um, was me just really frustrated at everything going on around me in the state and just the, the level of frustration and, and, and ignorance that I see, um, around me, uh, again, mainly pertain to, to just people not trusting their own eyes, not trusting academics, not trusting, uh, peer reviewed research and lifelong experts. Uh, you know, that kind of stuff just frustrates the hell out of me. And it's like, we don't protest in the street for healthcare to be a human right. But people will cry out and say their rights are being taken away from them. How dare the government try to mandate wearing a mask? And I'm like, okay, well, your freedom, your freedom to wear that, not wear the mask or wear it stops when you enter a public space and public health is, is, is paramount. And I'm thinking, wow, people really, are choosing things to argue about and then letting other much more important issues that they should be vocal about. Just, they're not even concerned about it. You know, certain, certain human rights and, and, um, again, healthcare. I mean, Amer American tourism going abroad is massive. Everyone, Oh, people come here for things because their place sucks. That's not true. Uh, tons of people go abroad because it's just so expensive here. I mean, in this country, you have to start a GoFundMe page to pay for your medical bills. Well, you don't do that in mostly Europe and, you know, a lot of other countries, people aren't afraid of losing every asset they own because they had a heart attack or they have cancer or, you know, something very debilitating and life-threatening. And so people aren't in the streets protesting that, but they'll, they'll make a fuss about wearing a mask. So those kinds of frustrations and and the, the you know, witnessing these types of sociological problems 
are definitely found themselves in the record. Um, I mean, I wanted to write the musically the record really wasn't, um, the, the climate, the, 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 the political climate, the social climate really wasn't a factor in the music, the musical part, but the vocals and the topic of subject matter did find its way into some of those songs, not all of them, but some of them. I also imagine too, that while you're recording this and there are things that are happening in the outside world that are not great or are, are very difficult to, to, you know, absorb Making music and making a record, making your first solo album gives you a chance to escape, gives you a chance to kind of live in a little bit of a bubble where your reality is focused on making music and it offers you this outlet that maybe not a lot of people have, you know, that that you're able to find comfort in what you yeah. love because if any, every time you turn on the news, you're frustrated, you're upset, you're aggravated. Yeah, yeah. What was that like? I mean, no different than someone that's a painter or writes um, or is a writer. You know, it's just another form of expression, just like any, any anything else. I mean, um, you know, it's good therapy. It's good to, to, you know, I mean, when you're creating sound that can uh, evoke uh, a, a, an emotion or an attitude, you know, it's a good way to vent, and yeah, there's there there's no no shortage of content to just look around and you know. I mean, I don't typically write love songs and you know, baby, I need you stuff. I, I usually write things that are darker and more poignant. And um, unfortunately, a lot of the subject matter is timeless. Uh, you know, these lyrics could have come out of the sixties or the seventies or the eighties or the night. And it, it still, it still holds up, which is kind of sad that humanity is still greedy and power hungry and not for the greater good of, of, of each society. It's, it's dog eat dog survival of the fittest. Me, 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 fuck you. I got mine. Go get yours. You know, that's a very, that's a, that's an attitude that people can see if they open their eyes, not saying that all people are this way. There are amazing people. that are very altruistic. that are very giving, not looking for the, for the, um, the favor in return. There's a lot of good things, but unfortunately, you know, the negative stuff kind of lingers. It seems to stick to the wall a little bit easier I mean, it would be like an abused person that's, that's, you know, loved and, and kissed and hugged and done nice things for. And then, and then the spouse just beats the crap out of that person. You know, they, they don't forget that it takes one really bad thing that can overshadow a hundred good things. Um, that's just kind of how we are. And so those, those kinds of subject matters are things that, you know, I have to write things that I feel passionate about. I have to write things that mean something to me. And, and those are topics that mean something to me. Um, and so I wouldn't say that I was in a bubble. I mean, we just weren't touring and everything, but you know, I was just immersed in creating this music 
not knowing how it would be received or if people would like it, hoping that they would like it, but I didn't write it really for them. I wrote it for me. And then that changes once you release it, because then it isn't yours anymore. It's theirs. It's theirs to critique. It's theirs to reject. It's theirs to accept. It's theirs to interpret the way that they want to interpret it. And so it's not yours anymore once you give it to the world. But for those four months and then writing it, making it was awesome. And then it was our little secret until the first song went out <laughs> and there's the onion, there's the onion layers start getting peeled back and people start to, to see what, what we've created. It's interesting when you're writing music and you're writing lyrics because you've got to tap into a certain sense of vulnerability, whether it's something that you observe whether it's, or something you experienced. You've got to tap into that and you've got to write about it and be expressive. You are a very expressive person. Just, you know, I mean, just talking with you now, you, you are, are very articulate on, on certain subjects and, and, and the subjects that you are passionate about. What's the difference between talking about something and then writing lyrics to a song about the same subject? Um, are, are you asking, um, like, about how do I write things? In your expression. Um, like, you're expressing, uh, you know, when, when you write a song, you're talking about the lyrics that you write about whatever you're observing or whatever you're experiencing you also can talk about it articulate way and, and, and express yourself on subject. Sure. So what's the difference between talking about it and then for you writing a lyric about it? Well, sometimes, um, you, you, you don't want to be literal, right? Um, sometimes you want to just be, be more abstract and you know, the, the, the problem one of the problems I, I see, and there was a really good op-ed article written by Alex Skolnick from the band Testament that just came out today. And it's a beautifully written piece. Um, I posted it on my artist page on Facebook and on Twitter. And he precisely talks about artists, not like artists being afraid to, to vocalize their opinion in fear of he references the Dixie chicks. Now their whole career was smashed because they criticized and president Bush. And, you know, and so now people are afraid, no, don't say that. Don't say this. And, and he brings up such a great point where he, he says, you know, shut up and play your guitar. He references the Zappa, you know, and it's like, Hey, wait a minute should we become hostages to our audience is what he, I'm, I'm quoting Alex Skolnick, you know, should artists become hostages to their audience because in, in fear of offending um, a percentage of their audience. And, and wouldn't that be the antithesis of free expression and having an audience just embrace you for who you truly are? And I thought, well, yeah, that's exactly who you should be as an artist. You look, I like Coke over Pepsi. Some people like love an actor. Some people don't. And I feel like, you know, with my solo stuff, it's, it's just me, but I, I do sing for Queens, right? Obviously I don't want fallout to impact. I don't want my, my views 
negatively affect the band that I'm in. That being said, I am my own person. I, I am not going to be muzzled. If somebody doesn't want to follow me because they don't like my viewpoint, honestly, I don't care. I don't care about follower numbers. I really don't. I have 64,000 whatever on Facebook, which, is, is, you know, it's, a, it's kind of a lot. It's not like, you know, some of these massive artists that have millions. But you know what? If, if half of those people unfollow me because they don't like my view on masks, I don't want them to, let, to, to support me at that point. Because, and there's also a difference between, you don't have to agree with me. You can separate an individual from an entity or an individual from an ideal. It's a very thin line because you say, well, this guy is, I don't like his views. I just can't listen to this guy's music anymore because I know kind of how he thinks as a person. I totally understand that. And in fact, I respect that. I respect the fact that they would unfollow me more than they would respect the fact that I'm viewing, uh, that I'm vocalizing a, a viewpoint from a very rational, sensible, logical, plausible, empirical perspective, regardless of the feelings. The data is the data. If the data says masks don't work, and that was the consensus among scientists around the globe, then I would say, the science says they don't work, but um, the science says they do. And uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. Vaccines work. That's why we don't have polio. And then people say, oh, well, you can get the flu and still you can get the flu shot and still get the flu. Nobody says that you won't get it. There, it's so that your body will respond appropriately and the effects will be much less and maybe you won't die. But people still die wearing seatbelts. But we know that seatbelts save more lives not. So when we get in the car and you have your kids in the car, you say, buckle up. It's not a hard concept. So, you know, writing about things in my music, sometimes it's literal. Sometimes it's not so literal just because I think that the audience of heavy metal, also the Queensryche audience, you know, I think people um, like the scavenger hunt. They, they, they like to read and try to, I want them to, to see what it means to them. And, you know, I, 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 people, but then there are people who want you to chew their food for them and they don't want to think about it. And they just, they just, you know, to me, uh, art, there are times when it should just be blatant and bold. And I have a statement to make and I'm going to say it my way and you have the right to like it or not like it. I don't care. I'm not writing it for you. Um, but a lot of people are afraid to go there. Do you know what I mean? I mean, it's, it's crazy. And then, uh, you know, me, I, I, I'm more true to my viewpoint and how I express it. And I try to not offend. I really don't try to offend. I can be offensive. I try not to offend. Um, but at the same time, I just want people if it, if it makes someone scratch their head and think like, Hmm, okay. Yeah. I, I, I never thought of it that way. And some people are just so fixated on their position that no evidence in the world is going to change their mind. Well, in that case, you're not dealing with a logical person. So it really doesn't matter at that point. Um, but you know, when I write songs, I write about, like I say, I write about topics 
they're important to me. Religion is another one. I, I'm an atheist. It's no secret. I don't care if you believe in God or pray to God a million times a day. It doesn't affect me at all. When your dogma says and tries to infringe on the rights of other people, it pokes its head into legislation, and you, you know, you're piece by piece wanting this country to become a theocracy, well, I have a problem with that. So I don't think that my viewpoints are are harmful. I think that gay people and lesbians and all, whatever, they should be allowed to do exactly the same thing. I think women should make the same amount of money as a man. The fact that there's even a conversation in this 21st century is, is pretty mind-blowing. Um, so, you know, I, I, I really am not afraid to speak my mind and, and say what I want to say in the music, but again, with Queensryche, I, I do write things in a more abstract way. Uh, but Queensryche has always been uh, a band that was, you know, tr- treaded in the waters of, of political climate and uh, social injustice and bringing awareness to subject matter that other bands might not want to talk about. But we're not a rock and roll band. We're, we're a progressive, melodic, hard rock slash metal band that writes about cerebral things. I, I've often, you know, wondered why or how we've gotten to this point. You know, I... I, I <laughs> Me too. You know, it, it, it's, it's almost silly when you think about it that because of what you do, people determine that you can't have an opinion on something. If you're a musician, shut up and, and stay in your lane. If you're Isn't cabinet, that unbelievable? And, yeah. And, and, and it's usually people that are against the cancel culture, right? And you're almost... Exactly. By, by, by telling people to shut up and dribble, shut up and play your guitar, you're effectively, proactively canceling them and canceling yes. their thoughts. Yes. And, 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 yeah. I, and I... Listen, I agree with nothing Ted Nugent has ever said politically in his life. Me either. But I love Stranglehold. I'll, I'll still listen to Cat sure. Scratch Fever. I don't know why hey, yeah. I don't know why we've gotten to the point where because someone disagrees with my viewpoint, I can't listen to their music, I can't watch their movie, I can't I can't do that. I mean that's a silly it's like it's like taking away the joy that you have with someone's art. And the 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 idea is everyone should be allowed to say what they're what they're going to say. It's up to you, the listener, who's listening to what they're saying, to decide whether they agree, to decide whether they disagree, to decide whether they just don't want to pay attention to it. It shouldn't be muzzled. You yeah. shouldn't muzzle people for, for speaking their opinion. And in terms of rock and roll, what's more rock and roll than voicing your opinion? Right? What's, what's more rock I and totally roll I totally agree. Yeah, and, and it's funny when you talk about the, you bring up the dichotomy of, you know, shut up and play, shut up and sing, shut up and play your guitar, shut up and do. It's like, yeah, you're you're the you're the cancel culture, the cancel thing that you were talking about. It's like you you absolutely are trying to cancel to cancel that, or you know, don't take a knee on the you know, no one takes a knee on the field in the country I fought for, but you fought for that right, you fought for the right for them to do that. And now you don't like that they can do it. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You got to decide you can agree to disagree on something, but you know, have a conversation. 
have a conversation about it, an intellectual conversation, not screaming over each other. Like, like for me, I don't care what somebody believes in. Like I said, so long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of others, I'm curious why someone believes what they do. Not so much that they do, but why, what shaped their, you know, what what kind of, what, you know, if you were raised in the Middle East, you're probably Muslim. If you were raised in the United States, in most, most of the country, you're, you're probably some denomination of Christianity, you know, or if you're in another part of the world, it's Judaism or Buddhism or so just, I mean, based on your geography alone, you're probably raised in a way and look, some people are just cultural or they identify as say a Christian or I'm Jewish. What does that mean? I'm Jewish. You mean you're Jewish as in you're your genetic makeup from a certain part of the world, your ancestors, or do you mean from a religious perspective? Because that's very ambiguous. So, but why do people think, you know, you're not listening. Why people take a knee? They're talking about police brutality. Why do you, you know, Oh, well, all lives matter and all lives do matter, but they're talking about a demographic that statistically is, you know, the, the, the incarceration rate is disproportionate to their counterparts, yada, yada. So I'm not, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying these are the conversations. We shouldn't be afraid to have them. And by all means, nobody, you know, so many people tell me all the time, Hey man, you know, as if I care what you think, well, you don't have to care what I think, but shut up and play your, I'm, I'm not a circus mouse that gets in the cage and gets out of the cage to sing and dance with you. I am a human being first. I am a citizen of this country first. I happen to play music, but that, but the, the, somehow there's this line and you know what else is weird? Here's another, here's another weird little dichotomy. It's like some of these people, they, they prop you up on this pedestal. Look, I'm the, I'm the same. When we hang up, I'm going to take a shower I, I got some papers being delivered to the house. I'm going to do some yard work. I'm going to work on music. I'm going to do normal, regular stuff today. Okay. But a lot of these people prop you up. And then when you vocalize, they say, well, you know, you should just do this. And it's like, well, why did you put me on a pedestal? And now you're saying, Oh, or he thinks he's, he thinks he's a big shot. And so he's going to say this and that. I don't think I'm a big shot. I'm a regular guy, just like you. Why, why is it okay for you to say what you want to say, but it's not okay for me because I have a, a larger audience that will listen to me. I don't know, man. It's, it, it goes back to the question. How did we end up here? Don't we have bigger fish to fry and more important things? And, you know, social media has just become out of control, out of control. People are like, Oh, why aren't you on this? I'm like, Honestly, if it weren't for like my record and the things that I'm doing artistically, I wouldn't have a Facebook page. I wouldn't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. I'm not getting Instagram. I don't need another thing to to connect to my other social media so that more people can see. I don't care about that. I've got a couple platforms. That's it. You know where to find me if you're interested. And I'm not, I don't care about the fame. But a lot of people, I, I highly recommend you read that article from Alex. Um, 
Skolnick. It's really good. Like I posted it on, like I said, I posted it, but um, it's a great read. And he precisely brings up what you just said, which was you're telling someone to shut up and you're the ones against cancel culture and you are absolutely trying to silence them and cancel them, which is the most un-American quote thing you can do is to try to tell someone to shut up. Makes no sense. It, you, you mentioned social media, and I have a 16-year-old son, and this is one of the concerns I have with him, with his friends as he grows up, is the block button, yep. right? The unfollow button. So if you don't yeah. agree with something, you block. You, you completely ignore that yeah. person's existence. And what that does, in right. essence, is it stops you from handling conflict and overcoming and having the dialogue to overcome conflict. So what that basically right. is, is like instead of you coming together and airing your, your grievances and airing your differences and trying to overcome that yep. and figure out a solution, you block, yep. ignore, and you completely absolve yourself of that person's existence, which in essence is like you're canceling your friends, you're canceling your, your relatives, whatever, but it, it doesn't solve anything. It just basically... You yeah, know, it, it, it's, and, it's it's today's version of talk to the hand, and yeah. yeah, you don't you don't learn any kind of conflict resolution. You don't learn how to listen, and listening is is ninety percent of it. You have to listen to what other people say, and just just give it a listen, and then hopefully they'll reciprocate and listen to you, and you can have a dialogue. You break it into pieces and say. Hey, well, that's and and not only that, typing can misconstrue the tone or the sentiment or the spirit in which you're saying something because there's there's no you don't know the delivery. I mean, sometimes you can it's, it's obvious, but but when you say something as a question, somebody can read that and just be like highly offended. Whereas if you said in the thing, you'd be like, you know, well, why, why do you think like why do you think that? I'm curious. But if you write, why do you think that? That you know the tone. Maybe they're reading it. You know, their their lens is already on the deep. They're already on the defense, and so when they read something, that sentiment isn't trans translated or transferred or whatever in the same way all the time. So, yeah, with with these the kids, like you said, I mean, that's probably a, a very legitimate concern as a parent for a, a young a teenager or young adult. Like this is showing you that if you don't like something, you just you just give up on them and you don't learn those social skills. There's people that can text and text and text and it's like, wow, great. And then you meet them in person and they don't know how to communicate in person. It's like, wow, I feel like I know this person and we're, we're, we're chatting and everything's cool on this, in this, you know, in the thread. And then you meet them in person and they, they don't know how to interact in real time in front of, in front of you. Um, so it's definitely, I mean, I never knew that it would get this out of control or have this much influence and literally change societies, which it has. I mean, the lack of information in certain countries, people are just fed their propaganda and they don't know any different because they're not allowed to get information outside of what the government lets them view. And then you have, you have a totally free reign society here where everybody can see everything and the, the BS is jumbled in with the legitimate stuff. And so the minute you fire, you say, well, Hey, here's, here's a research, a real research, a peer reviewed research. Not that, not that either of us are particularly qualified to 
assess the data properly, but if it's written in you know, layman terms, we can, we can understand. And then somebody goes, well, look at this. And it's some, you know, some doctor, another doctor that's saying something totally different. So you said, well, you have to, we have to look at the sources. We have to look at their background. You know, you're talking about a veterinarian. I'm talking about an epidemiologist or, you know, and so those, it's like, ah, oh, well, that's, you know, that's BS or you believe what you believe. And I believe, no, I don't believe anything. I either accept to varying levels of you know, degree or, or I don't, it's not about belief. It's about, I accept the data. When I go to a cardiologist and he says, you have a 90% blockage, you need a stent. I don't go, oh, that's BS. He might want to get a second opinion, but he's probably right because he's the expert. And, um, so yeah, it's, it's a bit disheartening to see the things that are going on. And like I say, there's no shortage of material to write about and it doesn't have to be even slamming one side or the other. It can just be a a very observant perspective of like, wow, look, just step outside and look at this shit show. You could just write a song about observing the chaos doesn't even have to like get deeper. It can just be like, wow, this is so oil and water here. How do we, how do we co-mingle together and in any, in any, with any kind of sense of harmony, but we're a very polarized country. If there's shit happen, happening all over the world. One of the great things that I've always appreciated my mom, when she, you know, used to, we've been on trips and vacate, you know, traveling. She says, one of the greatest gifts I can ever give you isn't buying you things. It's giving you the experience of travel and, and experiencing other cultures and other ways of life and other, you know, there are many beautiful places outside of here and you should really check it out. And I think that that's helped shape a, a, a more of a worldview for me to not paint with such a black and white brush you know there there are many variables involved and uh i wish people could travel more and and truly try to understand other walks of life and and um i think people could be more respectful of not even just change but just differences i think that it makes me more tolerant to the differences that people have you know speak english that's not their native tongue they're speaking with their family member in the supermarket. They don't have to speak English. They can speak whatever their mother tongue is. And when they're engaging with someone in that society, it's not their family member and they speak English, they can speak English. But, you know, how great is it? And most of these people who speak English, they don't even know another language. This person's bi- at least bilingual. They don't even give him, cre- give him credit for that. <laughs> you know? It is amazing. I mean, it's something that um, is always interesting to hear different point of views and how we've gotten here and why we are the way we are right now. And it just seems to be, you know, increased in terms of our division over the last year. You know, I mean, last year was 2020 was just, I mean, gosh, it's probably the worst year of my existence, you know, in terms of just conflict, in terms of what was happening. But you know, hopefully as we move forward, especially as the numbers get better with COVID, hopefully they keep, you know, they get better. They don't spike back up. But yeah. I just hope yeah. that, you know, we we learn to listen more and, 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 you know, 
I always remember the phrase that my teacher used to tell me when I was younger. You've got two ears and one mouth. You listen more than you talk. And I I just think that, you know, that that's lost on a lot of people. And hopefully as we move forward, we kind of get back to that. I don't know if we ever will be able to, but it's a nice thought at least. It's a positive thought (laughs) for sure. And there's a lot of pent up energy. People are depressed. People have lost a lot of money. Um, Families are starving. The pandemic is, I mean, it's, it's, very multifaceted and the fallout is, 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 is much greater than probably, you know, I even know, but, um, you know, that being said, I, I try to remain optimistic. And again, when, when people are, when it's safe to congregate and I mean, all of the things from conventions to religious gatherings to, um, car shows to seminars, you know, speakers that gather people together. I mean, shit, school, (laughs) you know, I mean, concerts, all of these things. Uh, I think people will start to get rid of some of that energy and maybe their, their guard will come down a little. They'll be a little, a little nicer. Um, but it's, it's a work in progress. You know, and, and my like, and my little—it's not a contribution to society per se, but my just me doing the record is is certainly therapeutic. It was fun, and if it helps someone else uh, in their day, maybe they're feeling down, and one of the songs picks them up uh, or gives them that extra little push and makes them feel better that day. Then it is a small contribution. To, to if it's one person, that's great. You know, because music is a very powerful thing, and I'm glad to be doing it. And um, I'm very thankful to pe- for the people that have listened to my own record and the stuff that that I do with Queensrÿche, and they support what we're do- what we're doing. Um. So yeah, hopefully it's not too far around the corner, and we'll be back up in Chicago. Absolutely, I look forward to it. As we as we end here, Todd, you mentioned writing the new Queensrÿche album here at the beginning of the conversation. When can we expect uh, new music from Queensrÿche? Uh, sometime next year. We're 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 writing right now, and uh, I suspect we'll be recording late this year, and then uh, <clears throat> hopefully, you know, the the first part of next year, um, and then we can try to like route a ground tour. Uh, that that happens to um, time, you know, my words are jumbled. You know, put the record out in the right timing for that tour to support it properly because we don't want to put a record out and then it sits there for six months before we can get out there and play on it. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, sometime next year, I'm very confident that uh, we'll have a new Queensryche record out because we got a ton of stuff that we're working on right now. Looking forward to it and looking yeah, forward thanks. to, to uh, continue absorbing your record too as well. It's a phenomenal album. It's a great Thank you kindly. Yes. Thank you so much. Well, Todd, it's been a blast. Thank you very much for doing it. Love the conversation. You too. Yeah, me too, man. I really appreciate it. Great questions. Great, great conversation. And um, uh, I'm around anytime you want to do it again. And the next time we're up in your neck of the woods, come on out to a show and 
um, we'll make sure that we get you some passes or whatever and come back and say, hey, if, it, if that's all good. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much, man. Okay, man. Have a great day. You do the same. Everybody, that's Todd Latore, singer from Queensryche. His new album is out now. Go check it out. It is a phenomenal record. The album is just continues to, to, to blow me away. But uh, great album here for 2021. I'm Jay Scott. This is The Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay strong, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.